Well, good morning, everybody. I think we're live on the Religion Unplugged Facebook page. I'm Bobby Ross. I'm the editor-in-chief of the Christian Chronicle and a write a weekly column for Religion Unplugged called Weekend Plug-In that a lot of what we do is, is highlight some of the top headlines in the world of faith and, and analyze and fact check stories that are making news in the world of religion. I'm Megan. I'm the managing editor of Religion Unplugged, where Bobby publishes his weekend plug-in column, and I'm based in New York. I'm Cheryl Bacon. I am the retired chair of the Department of Journalism and Mass Communication at Abilene Christian University. Um, when I was employed there, I taught both journalism and public relations classes. Um, and now I'm a freelancer. Uh, my name is Warren Smith, and I'm the president of Ministry Watch. We are also a subscriber to Religion News Service and have uh, published Bob's articles on our site as well. And just want to congratulate him for the excellent journalism there. I'm Holly Meyer. I'm the religion reporter at the Tennessean. Um, Ramsey Solutions would be included in our coverage area. Um, and so I'm glad that Bob was able to get this incredible story put together. And one of the big stories in the, the Godbeat world of the last week outside of, of the inauguration of a new president was the coverage that Smetana, Bob Smetana, national correspondent for Religion <laughs> News Service, is here to talk about the coverage he's done of Dave Ramsey, who, whose name, if you're watching this, is probably familiar to you, a Christian financial guru, radio talk show host, built a $42 million headquarters in Franklin, Tennessee, a couple of years ago, just south of Nashville, has 800 employees, if I remember Bob's story correctly. But maybe we start start with you, Bob, since it was your story. You, you've done a couple of stories about that I recall about Dave Ramsey, one about COVID-19 and then one just about the, the general culture of that Christian organization. And maybe you could just update people kind of on, on what that story has been all about and, and what your investigative reporting has found. Sure. So I, I've been here in Nashville since 2008 or so. And actually, I've been trying to interview Dave Ramsey since then. He's a very big presence here. He runs, a, you know, he's got, a, he's both this national figure uh, who advises people about how to do uh, both uh, people and churches and uh, companies about how to run their finances. Um, and also is a major employer. They've got actually 900 employees and they're planning to hire 600 more. And they're actually building a $50 million addition to their $40 million uh, building. Um, but they've been concerned for a long time about the culture there. Uh, there were concerns uh, early on that they were asking people uh, that's run pretty much like a church. So that you'd be asked when you went to work, if you wanted to work there, where you went to church, um, that there's a very strong moral code. So gossip is any negative comment you make about the company is considered gossip. You can be fired for that. There is a kind of allegiance to Dave uh, Ramsey himself. And, um, and the concern that the, their, their moral code is not um, applied equally to people. So if you're low down the food chain, you can get fired for anything. If you're higher up, you don't get fired for things. Uh, and it's important. it was important to us because uh, Ramsey also runs this thing called Entree Leadership, which is his uh, tools, how to manage a company. And so he charges thousands of dollars to have people come in and learn 
how to run a, a company Dave Ramsey's way, and they claim to be the best place to work in America. So you know, we vet those claims. Uh, it's come under the you know on the radar a few years ago. Uh, they had something called Twittergate, where there were fake Dave Ramsey Twitter accounts where Dave offered rant, uh, bounties on to employees to find out who they were and turn them into him so he could uh, talk with them. He pulled a gun in a staff meeting to talk about how much he hated gossip. So that's kind of background. We um, we we have been looking a way to talk about you know what's going on in the culture there. It's very closed-lipped. Anyone who leaves has to sign an NDA, so you you can't really. And anyone who works there can't say anything negative or honest because they get fired. So uh, it took us a long time to get in there, but basically we got a break when COVID happened because um, when COVID happened, and Mr. Ramsey was very. It's a kind of a COVID denier. It's not that bad. We have to be, don't be fear, afraid of this. If you wear a mask, you're a wuss. Uh, and so when they had a couple cases at the company, they shut down for a month, but made everybody come back. And I think that was for employees who had been working at home and perhaps had uh, you know, health concerns themselves or a family member with health concerns. They were uncomfortable with that. So some people got fired and people were more willing to break with the leadership. So we, uh, and January, we, we reported that they had 100 cases in the, in the building, probably more because uh, they, they don't have really good numbers, at least what their leadership has told their staff, and that they had a giant 900-person um, in-person Christmas party at their headquarters, which caused quite a bit of hubbub. And then we just, uh, last, this last week, we reported on the culture there. Uh, so a couple key notes, you know, someone filed an OSHA report to uh, say that the company was not trying to prevent COVID. Uh, Dave Ramsey got up in the middle of a staff meeting. They have a staff meeting every Monday and said, you're a moron. If I find out who you are, I don't know who you are, but I'm gonna find you. If, you, if I find out you, you're fired because you're disloyal to me for reporting anything outside the building, which raises questions about retaliation. I, they fired a, uh, there's a woman in the company who went to her boss, asked for maternity leave. Uh, she was fired for, because she's not married, was, was fired for having premarital sex. Uh, we also learned uh, there, was a, there was an employee whose spouse said something pretty innocuous about not being comfortable with her husband going back to work in the office. She was fired for her. Her husband was hired for the Facebook post. There were some other employees who've had similar experiences. I think one of the big ones is, but Ramsey's known for its moral code. And Dave has a very clear, we have a moral code. You and uh, one of the big no-nos is adultery. You have an affair here that says, I, if, if your spouse can't trust you, I can't trust you. And people have been fired there for having affairs. Well, one of their major uh, speakers and a, and a high profile personality uh, was having, has had several affairs, including one with someone at the company and one that was found out right before he was going on a major book tour in 2018. And when the company found out about that, they decided not to fire him. They offered him marital counseling with the caveat that the counselor and his pastor would report all the details of the counseling to the company's leadership. And his spouse did not go along with that. And then when the couple divorced, they misled the, uh, I think I've gotten a number of recordings of company meetings, one of them where they talk about his divorce in a lot of detail, uh, you know, say there's no angels here, kind of throw the spouse under the bus a little bit. Um, but really say there was no, you know, he didn't break any of our, there were no clear lines. He didn't break any of our rules. If he had, we're not covering up for him because he's going on book tour. You know, we have integrity and we're going to do whatever we can. Uh, and uh, so what we found on our reportings, that wasn't the case, that he had broken rules and had lied to the company. 
We know this because in the divorce filing, they he had to file under oath that some things he had done in the marriage, including having several affairs and lying to the company. So, um, you know, the, kind of the big tip of this is this is a company that says the best place to work where Dave has been very clear about here's where my values and I want to have a godly company. Um, and we asked one question, does it, does the company live up to its reputation? And secondly, can a company be run like a church? Because this is a church which is organized as a nonprofit, as a for-profit company. So when, which has been very lucrative for its owner, but is, is really operated like a church. You have to believe in the mission. You have to have specific, you know, and the wall they have, we work as unto the Lord and we have righteous living. And they fire people for breaking religious rules. And uh, there's a lawsuit right now where the person who got fired was pregnant because pregnancy is a protected class. Having an affair is not protected, but pregnancy is. And so the, the lawsuit is basically saying that the company discriminates based on religion and sexual and uh, gender. And so it'll be interesting to see that, how that all falls out. So, uh, and it's important because again, Mr. Ramsey spends a lot of time promoting how great his company is and telling other people they should follow his examples. Uh, we did go to them and uh, I'll, I'll end with this. We went to them at, as you do at the end of reporting, we asked for a comment, we sent them some specific questions and our findings. We got a very sarcastic email that said just, and just, you know, we're horrible people. We exist just to ruin our, you know, spread COVID and do evil to our, our customers made fun of me as being unemployed. Uh, I think the, the thing, uh, they shared my name, email, and asked everyone in their company to uh, to contact me, about 100 of them did. And then um, they sent to some local pastors, uh, two of them who called me. One was very pleasant, one was not. I don't know how to describe it, but in some ways the statement he issued kind of, kind of illustrated a lot about what you were trying to say. Just, it, it seemed to me with just the way that he brushed you off and you, you, you were saying he called you a freelancer and, you know, as if, if you're not a freelancer, but if you were, there would be nothing wrong with that. But, and yes, we're horrible, evil people, which, you know, the surprising thing to me, having reported on Ramsey a few times in my career is, as I recall, they have several professional public relations people. And I get a Christmas card signed by 10 to 12 of them every year. And, and this statement, maybe Warren and, and Cheryl, do you have any kind of what was, I'm sure you've read the statement, what was your reaction to it or is your reaction to it? Um, I actually made the observation that if I were teaching PR principles this semester, we would start with that as an example of how to never, ever, ever do public relations because it just, violated all of the basic principles of ethical public relations, which um, the best public relations people do operate on a um, principle of honesty at all times. And I guess that there were ways in which that was honest, but it was certainly counterproductive for the company and it was vindictive in its treatment of Bob. PRSA Code of Ethics talks about advocacy and loyalty which it, it took those two things kind of to an extreme, but also talks about honesty and fairness, uh, which is largely how you treat your, your readers and, and the public at large. And it was just completely beyond the pale. I think there's something to be said for him having a certain audience that's gonna respond positively to that. I do think that, that an organization of that size, 
that really relies on a broader audience to sell his product than just what you might call the Ramsey faithful or the Trump faithful. You know, he does have to appeal to consumers. He's not selling MAGA t-shirts. He's selling a, a service, um, sells it often through churches. So yes, it will appeal to a certain number of their cult followers, just to put it the way that um, a lot of people have. But as a corporation, I, I don't think it's responsible in, in that their goal is to expand their base and to sell their product and to sell their service. And most of us don't feel comfortable dealing with a company that treats people that way. I guess, Bob, do you, do you think an intern wrote that statement or where, where do you think that statement my, came my from? My understanding is, is that, the, uh, that it came from the top leadership. It sounds a lot like what I've heard Dave Ramsey and other leaders say in meetings. So uh, I, my understanding is that it did not come from the professional pr public relations staff, but that it was approved and written by the top leadership. And I'm not oh. exactly sure which one. Um, I, I think, you know, just uh, a couple of things about that. You know, we asked some serious questions about the, their moral code and the conduct of one of their leaders they put that, the day the story ran, they put that person as the guest host on the Dave Ramsey show. They sent us an email, one of the, the lines in the email that struck me was, we have a recording of this person farting in church and we'll send that to you. So we asked a serious question about, you know, the conduct of a leader and how it matched with the, the company's brand and principles. They sent us a kind of a crude joke. Mr. Ramsey will say, and he, he kind of talks about coming from a hillbilly, uh, background. That's the word he uses. So he'll say, you're either for me or you're again me. And that's, that's just the way that they, and there's no, you know, my name's on the building, you do what I say. And so uh, I think that, I don't think it helps the, you know, I'm not in giving PR advice. I'm not sure it sends, and actually I went back and asked them, are you sure this is the official, I actually asked, is this the official statement? This, because they also asked, the other thing they did in the thing was asked me to come to a, a worship service they were having that night. At the building, which I did. I was, nobody was social distanced. No one wore a mask. Uh, so I did wear a mask. I stayed in the back, but it confirmed, you know, this is run like a church. Uh, and I said to the, the host, who's very polite, you know, this is a different than the email statement you sent me. Is, this, is that really the statement you want to say? Well, they said something like, well, that was the point. And I'm not sure what they meant by that. But uh, they have stood behind that statement. We did get a second statement when I finally said, are you disputing anything in the story? They sent me a little more professional statement. But they this is this is their fish, what the company wanted to say to us in public. So um, I think that, you know, it's a multimedia, you know, multi-million dollar company that have, deals a lot with churches. And I think this statement does confirm a lot of the things we said about the culture. Um, you know, when, when you report, you want people to be them best selves and reflect what they are like. And so in this case, this is what they wanted to say to folks. I do think it's important to note here that while, you know, Dave Ramsey is fond of saying my name's on the building, you do what I say, as Bob just uh, mentioned, that's that's something that you will hear from <laughs> Dave Ramsey from time to time on his radio program and others. I mean, he's large and in charge, and there's no doubt about that. But I don't think we should kind of gloss over the fact that um, – this money is not strictly a free enterprise operation. I mean, they they have these relationships with churches that take donor money. I mean, th this money comes in the front door of churches, um, supposedly for ministry, and then goes in, out the back door to Dave Ramsey. 
in, in the millions and even tens of millions of dollars. Um, so that, that relationship, Dave Ramsey's, um, you know, touting of entrepreneurship and the free enterprise system is a bit disingenuous because a lot of that money that has built his company has, in fact, come from um, donors who sometimes give sacrificially to their churches and see some of that money go out the back door to Ramsey. Yeah, the thing I was going to say about your church and a lot of other churches is, no, I don't expect a lot of churches to suddenly cancel their relationships with Bob Ramsey because of that email. I mean, it's it's sad but true that a lot of them don't care or won't have paid attention. But I do think that there is a long-term effect of that kind of behavior that can have a negative impact. Um, that is not to say that there are not a lot of badly behaving CEO, CEOs in the country, but sometimes that backfires on them, you know? And so Papa John's is no longer run by Papa John. There are other, you know, if even the NFL will end its relationship with its top executives over bad behavior, then at some point you think this could have a long-term impact. I don't, I think he's going to, you know, be able to count his money and do just fine forever. But even if he didn't, it was unwise and it was unethical and it was not Christian behavior in any way, shape or form. I mean, if we move away from what was the public relations behavior involved, it it was simply um, unkind and untrue and, um, therefore not consistent with the kinds of principles that he says he maintains. On what Warren said about, you know, the running a company by Christian principles. Actually, that's one reason what the story made sense to us to, to pursue, because there is a bigger, bigger question here is how much can a for-profit religious company require uh, an owner at a for-profit religious company what can they require their employees to do? Can they require their employees to be religious? Can they uh, require a code of conduct? Because lots of places have code of conduct that ban certain things you can and can't do. Um, the question here, and uh, and post Hobby Lobby, there are some questions about this, you know. And I think the lawsuit here in Nashville may end up answering some of those questions or be a first step to answering that. I think. Um, you know, the, because a for-profit company is not exempt from Title IX in the way a nonprofit church is. One reason is that the nonprofit serves the mission so it doesn't benefit a single person. In this case, the, the company wants to have the benefits of operating as a religious organization and while still maintaining the financial benefits of operating as a for-profit company. And, uh, you know, whether you can, you know, uh, if you're a church, even churches, though, I, I did have this uh, interesting talk with a lawyer who represents a lot of churches saying that pregnancy even for churches is difficult because pregnancy is a protected class uh, for discrimination. And so you can if you fire a pregnant person unless they're like a, a clergy. You can get, you know, if you call it prior secretary or administrative assistant, which this person was for being pregnant, you can get in trouble. You can uh, you can be sued and lose. So uh, I think, but this I think will will uh, help us determine some boundaries. So this is a bigger question. So both the influence of Ramsey and these bigger questions of you know should, how much can a company require its people to practice a certain religion were sort of the driving forces in the story. Uh, it's not unusual to get people mad at you or to get pushback or a decline to comment or what have you or even escalate it to. Uh, people above me as a reporter to so my editors and even higher than that. I think in the climate today where we have all of this anti-media animus, um, 
it is always really concerning to me when anyone takes all of their supporters and directs them towards reporters in in sort of a, a negative way because um, we don't necessarily know like can that get out of hand um, and we've certainly seen a rise in this um, anti-media idea we saw it play out at the U.S. Capitol we know that uh, members of uh, the media were targets of rioters we saw I believe the phrase was murder the media scratched onto the window or the door of the Capitol. And so that is always something that's really, um, makes me really wary uh, to, to, to direct a group of people in that, in that direction. I had a, a, a similar experience recently. I wrote a story, um, the pastor uh, didn't like it. Um, he preached about it and me and called me a liar from his pulpit on Sunday, Sundays, um, a couple Sundays ago. And um, instead of reaching out to me directly or my, my organization, he um, asked his congregation to reach out to me. So I received 15 to 20 emails. Um, generally the tone was that I should be ashamed, I'm a liar. Um, at the end of the day, my, my company stands behind me and then we stand behind that story. Um, but it was just that moment of being like, okay, where is this going to go? Because you see story after story of journalists um, receiving that level of harassment. You know, I've been at this for about a decade and it's definitely over the last, um, like the last half of that, that I've been um, more aware that that can be a response. Bob's story made me think about a couple of things. One more from the journalist side is why it are some people more prone to not like journalists? And it feels like this evangelical culture, there's a part of it that is like that. It reminded me of um, the worship pastor, Sean Foyt, who became really popular this summer and didn't want to talk to me, even though I know, you know, one of his very closest friends and were friendly together. And you now I had his number and everything, but he didn't want to talk to us. Um, but he also frequently posts about uh, the media lying. And then it also reminded me of just from the, not journalist side, but like participant in some of the evangelical culture of um, the stories like Ravi Zacharias of these big Titans who then like fail and even though a lot of people have been positively impacted by their work and with Ramsey gotten out of debt and, um, you know, learned financial literacy, which is actually a really big problem for a lot of people and, you know, contributing to some even bigger societal problems that people have, like unequal access to financial literacy. Um, but then, and yet he disappoints people in these like big ways. And for some people, it's really shocking. I want to say one thing. Holly was very nice not to say that the church that did this was the governor's church here in Tennessee, wow. a very large. And it's actually a church. One of the judges used to go there. It's very kind of well-known and powerful congregation. So it wasn't just any megachurch pastor would probably do that would be concerning. But this was the church where the governor goes to church. Wow. And, and this is not directly, I guess, related to the topic of this panel, but when when did when did Christians and church people bullying reporters when did that become a Christian thing to do? 
Well, Bobby, you're right. This is kind of beyond the scope of what we're talking about, but I, I would just mention that it's, it's not necessarily a new thing. I mean, you know, we, we sometimes have a short memory about these kinds of things. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, journal, journalism done right is always speaking truth to power, and power sometimes doesn't like to have truth spoken to it. Marvin Olasky wrote a book about 30 years ago called Prodigal press. And I helped Marvin revise that book seven or eight years ago. And the first two or three chapters of that book um, really highlight a couple of kind of important moments in American history that put media on one side and evangelicalism or fundamentalism on the other side. One of them is the 1925 Scopes Monkey Trial. You had, you know, H.L. Mencken, probably the leading journalist in the country at that time, uh, on sort of one side of that and fundamentalism on the other side. You had the Whitaker Chambers Alger Hiss trial, which was around 1950, that once again kind of pitted um, the so-called liberal media establishment of Washington, D.C. and New York against someone like a Whitaker Chambers, who was a flawed but credible witness to many folks in the religious world. I mean, this has been a long time coming, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. This is not necessarily a new thing that, um, that, that Christians don't like journalism, don't like journalists. I, I, and, uh, and, and I would also add that social media, you know, since about 2007, we really have had a sort of a technological revolution since about 2007 and the advent of the smartphone and Facebook and that sort of thing. It's, um, um, you know, that, it, that, that has been an accelerant that has been thrown on the fire. But I think the fire has always kind of been, you know, in the fireplace for a for a while, maybe even for generations. It's just now with social media, it's kind of, you know, kind of escaped the fireplace and is starting to burn the house down, if I may abuse a metaphor there. What made me laugh about your question is the one time where I was threatened, where I felt a bit concerned was in a church. It was at a big anti-Muslim conference where I had written about some of the leaders and one of them called me out from the stage. Is he here? We should know. And the person in front of me got in my face and threatened me. This big mega church was run by an ex-con pastor who for some reason really liked me. And I just said, well, I don't think Pastor Maury, I'll just, let's just go talk to Pastor Maury and see what he thinks about this. And so he was like, no, you're not threatening my guests. But you know, they, they from the stage, a very angry crowd yelled at me. This, you know, Dave Ramsey doing this was not as threatening. Um, I think this is a, a an ongoing issue. We've, we've had both two things going on. We've had some high profile evangelical leaders in particular, who are celebrities, uh, crash and burn. Ravi Zacharias, Bill Hybel, we saw a little bit with John Ortland, all kinds of folks that are just, um, the, the reporter, I, I've had meetings with uh, religious journalists, editors, some Baptist editors, where I said, just please clean up your own mess. Because the reporters, you know, the people in the church would be better off if folks in the church would see a problem and take care of it. Otherwise, we have, we come in and take care of it. And uh, it be, it's usually much worse at the point where it comes to our attention. Uh, and nobody likes to set up, nobody wakes up in the morning and go, gee, I want to go write an expose of this large and important organization on terrible things they're doing or might be doing. But we do it because that's our job to report the good and the bad. But I think there is a, a leadership model. There's a new book out called Jesus and John Wayne. One of the things it does talk about is the kind of strong man leadership principle in evangelicalism. I think that's one of the things the book gets right is there is a strong, powerful uh, leadership model that's, uh, you know, a lot of it was influenced by the Bill Hybels corporate leadership model where pow- the powerful leader takes no prisoners and grinds people in the dust is seen as the example for a 
Christian leader. And sometimes I see this play out uh, in responses I get from readers. The emails usually start with, I clicked on this thinking this story would be terrible and you would not understand what was going on in my particular church or denomination at all. And then pleasantly surprised to find out that you do in fact know what you're talking about. You did talk to the right sources. You did capture what was going on. I've just consistently delivered and so have my peers good quality reporting, um, which in a lot of ways, um, when, when in this particular instance came to me, some folks who came to my defense were like, why are you going after Holly? What I would love is if we could waters rise all boats or whatever the phrase is, that we, we could bring it all up a little bit more um, to, to not have me treated as this exception, essentially. If we could somehow figure out how to get people to actually click the link before voicing their opinions, it, it would be a wonderful place. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, both, I, I agree with both of you guys. I mean, uh, uh, even though I do think that, you know, to a certain extent, we can stand on the justification, hey, that's our job. Our job is to speak truth to power as journalists. I do think also an important part of our job as journalists is to, be, is to be a voice for the voiceless, to understand that there are real victims here. And one of them is, the, you know, is this woman who was fired and, uh, and you know, Bob told her story as part of the, tel of the telling of the story of Dave Ramsey. And I think that if we as journalists understand that is part of our role as well. It's not merely speaking truth to power, but it is providing a voice for the voiceless and uh, some measure of platform and power for the powerless. Um, I, I do think that that will have, to a certain extent, an impact of deflecting some of that journalism and helping our readers understand that we're just not trying to, you know, poke a finger in the eye of the, of the big dog, but we're really trying to protect, to help future victims of these uh, leaders that have gone out of control. Megan, we have some questions. Yeah, I think some of them have been answered. So for example, one um, was Eric from Christian Chronicle was asking if there's been any response from Ramsey's company. Uh, maybe as a follow-up, we could ask what's the reader response been like and are, have any churches said they're gonna drop Financial Peace University materials? Um, and then another question, Paul Dowell's asking, can Ramsey's company discriminate against non-Christian employees? Um, I think Warren and Bob both touched on that a little bit, but maybe you can explain a little more. Um, if they're not actually a church, how does that work? So, so that's a really good question. That's actually the question at the heart of the story. Um, what the company does now is they do a spousal interview. So if you come to work room, they, they have your spouse come in. Then they ask, what do you do on the weekend? which uh, I think folks who have interviewed there think is, you know, that they want to say is go to church. Um, so you can't as a, so Title IX says you can't discriminate based on religion or gender or character of race uh, and other characteristics. And a religious nonprofit like a church is exempt from those. Uh, a for-profit company is not by its nature exempt from those. Um, and so that's the question. So if they were to ask, are you a religious person they would be in violation of Title IX. The complicating factor is, is Tennessee, for example, is an at-will state, so you can get fired for anything, but you still cannot discriminate based on race or religion or, or gender or pregnancy status. So what the company is saying in its response in this case is that she broke a general rule against premarital sex. 
that the company says you can't have premarital sex. And because she had premarital sex, she got fired, not because it was religious. Now, Mr. Ramsey, in his meetings, he did a meeting uh, where he talked about wanting to have a godly company. And he said, don't come to me and say you love your pastor and I'm living with my boyfriend. It's against the Bible. You're stupid. So his own words have said there's a religious motivation for his rules. Recently, a transgender employee at a uh, funeral home that went to the Supreme Court uh, and the, the employee's side, the Supreme Court sided with the employee that being transgender qualified as gender discrimination. Early on in that case, that company had some religious beliefs that they used in the early court cases, but dropped that. So there has not been, that has not been litigated in court. So Hobby Lobby said that some companies whose owners have religious beliefs have the right to have religious expression in the marketplace. What hasn't been litigated is the other side of that is, as an employee, what are your rights? And are you, can you be required by your secular employer to practice religion in, in a certain way? We usually see the opposite, where somebody works for a secular company and they have religious beliefs they want to practice. So they need Saturday off, or they want to wear a particular kind of head covering or need a place, time, place and time to pray. Those things we see all the time, you know, the employee's religious practice and require asking the employer to allow religious practice. We don't have, we haven't seen many lawsuits the other way of what if the employer has religious requirements for people. What about the question about, have you heard from Ramsey Group since, since they issued that statement? Anybody like, oops, we, that was a joke. We didn't mean that. No, or no, they... I haven't heard anything. I've heard that. I think I have heard from, I've heard from folks who have left to say thank you. Other folks have left to say thank you. Uh, because there are folks on their NDAs, they can't talk about it. But I think there are folks who, who can't talk publicly, but have been thankful about it. I will say this. Dave Ramsey's employees, for the most part, were very polite. They sent me these notes. Dave Ramsey and his methods have helped my life. Here's all the great things they did for me. I like this company because my old company was, you know, some of them worked in the music business, some worked at other companies where there was no structure and they felt like there were no rules and they appreciated the order and structure. Uh, I think to almost everyone I've talked to talks about the, the kind of the ordinary worker culture as being a lot of folks who help each other. So one of the things we report in stories that when you move here, if you move here from out of state, Ramsey employees will help move you in. They'll bring lunch. They'll, there's a kind of love, what they call love bombing almost. But there's a real culture of friendship among employees and helping each other out because they believe in the mission. I think they lose that when they run, you realize that you can lose that quickly because of the ownership. Uh, I think, you know, I got a few angry emails, one angry response, one angry pastor who's a friend of Dave Ramsey called me. So folks did prank us. So some folks left my name and number with realtors about houses in Florida and, and in Tennessee that I wanted to buy. Some of the, my favorite part, this, and it didn't make me laugh, is that I got signed up for a, a Latter-day Saints singles group. So they create, they paid for a Mormon, they paid for this Mormon dating service, created a fake profile of that I was a Mormon woman looking for a husband. And so I got all these messages from, you know, not the direct message, but you have a, from so-and-so looking for a spouse and, you know, <laughs> in my email box. And I think the company first was like, we think this is a fraud. And I'm like, yes. And they responded to money. And uh, so I got a lot, I, I've signed up to all kinds of John Maxwell's people called me, all kinds of folks have called me and the, oh, Scientologists called me too because I was reported to Scientologists as needing help and drug and a drug addiction place. One other thing that's really interesting about Ramsey it, that's related to this is the amount of control the company would like over spouses. So if you apply for a job there, your spouse has to come in and interview. They have to be 100% on board. And 
they don't want folks, they call them, they, you, don't, you don't want to be married to crazy. So, and they, there's kind of a constant chatter in the company, but, you know, I know your spouse is pressuring you to do something else, but we are right. So they want to have control of well, your relationship with your family, you know, saying, bringing work home and saying, oh, so on one level, they say you should be done by five. Don't stay late. You can come in early, but don't stay late. We want you to have time with your family. On the other hand, you can't go home and talk to your spouse. And if your spouse says at dinner to, with a friend, something that's perceived that as negative towards Ramsey, you can be fired. Um, and they ask you for a budget when they, when they give you an offer. They say, well, before we give you an offer, you, we're going to give you this money. You, you show us your budget. Show us what you need to live on. And their starting wages are generally much lower than the market scale. Now, they do a second thing. They do profit sharing. So if the company's doing well, they share, they give money to bring you up to sort of market level. But it's kind of an interesting, it's a way for the company in some ways, if you were cynical, to say they engender loyalty. You know, first they they have a pretty intrusive question. You show us your budget, all your income, and then we'll then we'll give you an offer. Can you live on our salary? And then second, they'll offer you less than money, but they'll give you a, a profit sharing, so you think they're generous. It's like who else does this? Who else shares profits? Well, no one else is because they pay more. <laughs> there are a number of signs of what the company does in terms of the the kind of interviewing they're doing, talking to the spouse, the no gossip policy, to to only recruit people who really believe in what they're doing and to have a lot of control over the spouse and the family, which is kind of unusual. And to set up a situation where you are grateful to the employer for being generous, when if you looked at the generosity and you looked at it, evaluated, am I getting more money than someone in, in another company who doesn't do profit sharing? You'd say, no, I'm not getting as much money. But I feel that this person is super generous for sharing profits with me that only bring me up to kind of market level. If you go to religionnews.com and read our story, in that story, there is a uh, recording of a staff meeting uh, that Mr. Ramsey actually edited and made a blog post called Got Your Six. And that Got Your Six is a military term referred to someone who's got your back. In which he goes through, begins by talking about uh, a former employee who spread a rumor about an affair and how they tracked that person down and they talked to their hairdresser who spread the rumor and they harassed the hairdresser into giving up their name and then they fired the person for spreading false rumors. And then a long kind of discussion of uh, Bill Hybels, Mark Driscoll, Perry Noble, and another, uh, and a neighbor of his who was actually an arsonist, and how each time he defended those people, even though, you know, and any critic, I'm going to defend you to the hilt, and, uh, you know, and some of those, and Mark Driscoll, he said, never did anything wrong, they should have been fired for, he just ticked off uh, snowflakes, and, and really took a, a strong stance, like, I'm going to have this kind of almost unquestioning loyalty to people I like even when I'm wrong. And then he said, well, I was wrong about this, but now I'm gonna tell you about our leader here and I'm right about this person. And I demand just kind of loyalty from you. I'm gonna be loyal to you. So it's like this, it's really interesting to look at the kind of techniques they use to engender loyalty and the kind of demand for loyalty and the kind of double standard of, you know, this, is, this, this, um, this statement, you can't gossip, but he, in his meetings, he talks about former employees all the time and runs them down, all the time. It's like runs them down, and and then he 
says, but we love you. And, and it kind of gets very soft, like, we love you here. But if you disagree with us, you think we're crazy, there's the door. So there's this like mix of we love you, we love you, we love you, but our love is very transactional. You will leave. And I will be unquestionably loyal to anyone who is a powerful leader. And I think it's worth listening to to say, okay, this is the way this company runs. And is this, is this the kind of leadership that companies should emulate? Because I think that's the bigger question here. It's the, there's the, the, both the financial part and the church part. And should a Christian leader say, don't let, you know, I can't, I probably don't want to swear on your thing, but <laughs> swear in the middle of me. You know, kiss my butt is not exactly a Christian leadership principle, which is often said. Uh, and I think also, is this a, the bigger question I have is, is this the way companies should run? Is this the best work environment, health environment? And I think there is a question, does the work environment, which they have there, further their mission? Does that really help them do their mission? Is it a healthy culture? Because there's a lot of turnover. And, and is, is that an example of the best way to run a work culture? Uh, and they make that claim and a lot of people work there and they're going to hire a lot more people. And I think, uh, I think COVID has uh, tested them on this. I think the COVID thing is too, do, does, does a company have a right, does a company have any responsibility in the pandemic to take steps to prevent the spread of it? This company does not. And they'll say, you can wear a mask, but they ridicule you to wear a mask. And they make, uh, one former employee said that wearing a mask was seen as a sign of faith in the leader. And so uh, I think, you know, if you have an employer who, berates those who have any concerns about a pandemic that killed 400,000 people. Is that, a, is that a good Christian leadership uh, example? Those are great questions, Bob. I think we've, we've about run out of time. We've been going for an hour now. I am, Bob, so appreciative of you taking the time to kind of give us the behind the scenes insight on the story and how it, it came about. I, I'm so thankful for all the panelists as well for being a part of this and and lending expertise. And, and I guess Bob mentioned you can Google for the link if you want to we read Weekend Plug-In on Friday. We'll certainly have the link there as well and would love, well, would love to have you read that or even subscribe to our Substack newsletter and, and get to read it early. But I will, we've been going an hour and I appreciate everybody and I will hit the end button and, and just thank you very much. This episode of Religion Unplugged podcast was hosted by Bobby Ross Jr., edited and produced by Peter Freeby. Special thanks to Religion Unplugged managing editor Megan Clark. The Religion Unplugged podcast is a production of religionunplugged.com and is a part of The Media Project, a nonprofit dedicated to equipping journalists to cover religion. To read our award-winning global religion news coverage or to find out more about Religion Unplugged or The Media Project, visit religionunplugged.com or follow us on Twitter at religionmag.